Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Copcast podcast. We promised you something about the European Super League, but then an hour before we were going to record, uh, all kinds of mental shit started to go down. So we've given it a couple of days for the dust to settle and we're going to try to pick the bones out of it now. So um, given uh, the European Super League tag, I've got a European-based well, not really a European based panel. I've got Neil Patterson in Berlin, so that's close enough. Chief, <laughs> how, how, how are you, Chief? Yeah, I'm grand. Nice segue. Love that. It was not my best, but here we go. Yeah, I mean, we thought we were going to be debating the, the creation of a European Super League, and now we're debating the collapse of a European Super League. So nice. Um, but yeah, kind of, I can't say that I'm not uh, happy and at least, or relieved, I suppose is the word, because. There's enough to fucking deal with at the minute, and I couldn't have, couldn't have been bothered to be honest. But yeah, it'd be fun chatting through how this all happened. Yeah, so we'll we'll kind of do a bit of as to how we how we got here and where we might go from here, and uh, also to help us along the way with that, I've got Andy Bell um, in Liverpool. Andy, are you <laughs> are you exhausted from the the mayhem that's that's ensued over the last few days? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say you've got a you say you've got a European panel and you've got two people living in a post Brexit UK. <laughs> you know, um, I, uh, well, I have an Irish passport, so I can kind of still qualify. So cool. <laughs> yeah, but you no, know, you're absolutely right. It's it's just been exhausting, like not really knowing how much Monday night was going to affect us and not really being able to get up for that and how you feel about not being up for a Liverpool game. It's just generally the the worst thing because it's one thing we look forward to isn't it it's one constant in our lives that we have and we're always nervous for and we always either either it ruins our weekend or it makes our weekend or weak in this instance so it was bizarre and then yeah everything that followed it was just like every time you looked at your phone it was there was more massive news that was going to influence the next 20 30 years of football so yeah it was a bit crazy to be part of it but i'm sure we'll get stuck into it now yeah we will so listen chief i'll, I'll start with you um the format of the format of the competition, an initial twelve members um, expanding out to, to twenty with invitation and a couple of other bits and pieces, um, two groups of ten, and what was being described as, as pretty much pretty much a closed shop, um, a lot of money involved, but it, it kind of came out and it kind of felt a little bit half baked. If, if, for want of a better term, it didn't feel as though it, it had been thought through. The branding has been in the, the spotlight for not complimentary reasons, let's say. Um, and it just all seemed kind of last minute thrown together. And, you know, inevitably, based on that, it, it just it fell apart so quickly. So, you know, like, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on, on the the idea itself and, and what happened? Well, I think we'll probably come on to, I won't go into too much detail on, on the idea itself because I think we'll probably come on to chat about that a bit more in detail with, with where we go next and what's likely to happen with the future of football because as we discussed sort of pre-pod, something like this is, is was inevitable. Um, but, you know, how it fell apart and and my my opinion on 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 this particular incarnation of of the presentation of this idea, well, you can't you can't take it seriously because it fell apart like it did. You know, 
on what was it Monday morning or Sunday night when this started to break uh, that the Super League was 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 a thing and it was going to be a thing and it was funded by JP Morgan and they had the twelve clubs and they were resigning from I think over the weekend they resigned from their posts on the ECA and on UEFA and all that stuff was happening and you're thinking oh fuck this is actually this is this is more than than their threat they've actually got something here. This is happening. And, you know, it rolled on through Monday and, you know, things seemed to be to be gathering pace. And you had all the all the bodies and, and politicians and whoever they could drag up from the old order, you know, to, to condemn it and to make threats and to, to um, you know, um, threaten sanctions and bans and all the rest of it. So it, it really seemed like a like a thing. Uh, but then less than, I think less than, we were going, less than 24 hours later, because we did the pod on Monday night, we recorded it, we were planning to do one Tuesday about the European Super League, and by the time, by the time it got to the evening, five o'clock I think, on the Tuesday, teams were pulling out, and it became like, it was a, it was like, it really was a happening, you know, you were getting messages all the time, and now Chelsea's gone, oh fuck, Atletico's out, you know, <laughs> Mental stuff, and I didn't see it coming at all. If because I didn't think they'd have the, I don't know what you'd call it. You could call it brass neck. You could call it guts. You could call it stupidity, delusion. You could call it well, yeah, but along those lines to to actually make it so arrogance, public. maybe arrogance, yeah, yeah, um, foolishness. Perhaps, um, or foolhardiness anyway, to 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 go out and make it so public when they when they weren't secure, you know, you've got to at least you've got to at least if you're going to make an announcement like that and it's it's earth shattering and it's you know groundbreaking and all the rest of it, you've got to make sure that the the, the founding members, the signatories, if you like, are are rock solid, not that they're going to fucking cave after forty eight hours. I mean. There's been a major breakdown there, and whoever, maybe John Henry, if if he is to be, um, you know, thought of as 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 a ringleader, as Sky were were love to to use wind up words like that. Um, maybe he was let down by by other chief executives or other um, uh, chairman CEOs, whatever they call themselves these days, uh, at other clubs. Uh, because it fell apart really, really quickly. And, you know, as, as I said, I think we'll probably come on to discuss the, the merits of the idea and where we might go, where it might go in the future and stuff later on. But but this is an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment for everyone that was involved in this project for it to collapse like that. And you wouldn't want to be associated. This is like the fucking Hindenburg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it really is. It's it's global news. Um it's a huge misstep, Andy, on on a, a lot of clubs' behalf. Perez and, and, and Barcelona seem to be still clinging to this idea that this this can move forward. Perez is threatening, um, you know, fines for clubs that have pulled supposedly pulled out. He's saying that they haven't removed themselves yet because there was signed and binding contracts. They'll have to pay um, some sort of financial penalty um, to break that contract, but. You know, why do you think 
why do you think such an outrage? Because we've seen we've seen things like this happen before. Um, we've seen the Champions League been been reformatted, and we'll, and we'll come on to that shortly. Um, and there is a little bit of you know murmurings about how unnecessary that was. But why do, why do you think that literally the entire football world um, mobilised so quickly? It's the only thing that's united FIFA, UEFA, you know, the rest of the Premier League, um, fans from, from all corners of every club. So, you know, why, why was this different than anything else? Um, I think when you look at, like, football over the course of history, like the football I grew up with um, was different to the football you guys both grew up with and that was different to the football that your parents grew up with and so on and so forth and, and football these days it's going further and further that way and there's even things like I mean I've talked about it at length on this podcast how much you hate VAR and how much you hate various different things uh, about football these days and it feels like the type of thing your dad goes on about at the dinner table about how football was better back in his day and I just feel like I'm kind of becoming like that but Ultimately, it always evolves, and it's over the last 30, 40 years, I think, especially since I think we're going to come on to talk about it, Sky and the Premier League were formed. We've seen a real move towards it being a business and it being completely venture capitalism, um, and almost like the what happens on the pitch is such a, a secondary side note for, for these CEOs and these owners, and 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 really, you know, on the it's just like the tip of the iceberg, kind of what you see in the pitch. So, I think we've all kind of had to accept that, you know, football. It's the it's the it's by far the most popular universal sport. There's so much interest in it that the way the world's going, there's always going to be kind of people jumping on that and making money out of it and ruthlessly exploiting it. And it's kind of been going that way. And I don't think any of us are particularly comfortable with it. I don't think any. Certainly Liverpool fans with the history and the, the values, socialist values that, that Bill Shankly instilled in the club. I don't think any of us are particularly comfortable with it, but we accept it. But I think the moment you mess with the fundamentals of the sport, and we were talking on the pre-pod, like the fundamentals of the sport, obviously you've got the rules of the game. But the reason I love football so much, and you know, we all have our different stories as to as to what got us into supporting Liverpool. I was just kind of always brought up that way. And I know, Dave, you, you've got a story about uh, about a kit, the first kit you bought and stuff like that. And everyone kind of has a different story about it. But when you sit down to watch Liverpool, you're nervous. And it's that nervous feeling which is is either going to, either these guys are going to ruin your weekend, you're going to be in a strop, and you're going to be sharp with everybody, and everyone's going to think you're a dickhead. Or you're going to be absolutely buzzing and life couldn't be any better. And the reason for that is, yes, the stakes of winning a football game, the stakes of you know building towards winning a Champions League, winning a Premier League, winning an FA Cup. But also, it's the jeopardy of losing. It's the idea, you know, that obviously take Monday night in isolation because of what was going on. I was like, I didn't really know how to feel about it. But ordinarily, I'd be thinking, well, what happens if we lose here? We drop five points behind Chelsea. Next year, what all this? Uh, we've got a very high wage bill. Are we going to be able to sign Mbappe? Are we going to be able to sign a world class player? Are players like Salah and Mane going to go for the last payday? 
you know, what's going to happen? Are we going to be left behind as a self-sustaining model? And it's those ideas running through your head, what you're thinking about at work all week, what gets you through work or school or uni or whatever people do on a day-to-day basis and that, that are listening to this podcast. It's, it's those kind of things that you think about and build it up in your head and you're worried, but you're also excited. Depending on what, like the, the situation of the game, and to remove that and have the idea of fifteen founding members, which I mean, the the makeup of them was just absolutely ridiculous. I know a lot of people have been kind of um, putting out viral tweets about you know why are Arsenal and Tottenham in there and, and stuff like this, and like you know why aren't Ajax in there? It's it's it was they didn't even try and hide the fact that it was just the fifteen uh, most. I don't know what the word is, most expensive clubs, highest value clubs in, in the world that were into this that could um, kind of keep turning this money over and, and make the most use out of it, which which is what this is all about. And, but it's the fundamental value of if we lose this game, what happens? And if it's nothing, then it just becomes like the NFL. Then you just get supporters like the NFL who just want to see the best players every week. They, they just want to see constant entertainment, end-to-end, the basketball idea of things. And that's just not football, and I think that's the main reason. And we'll come up on to like uh, on uh, unpick several different parts of that, as I'm sure we will. But I think that fundamental reason of messing with that idea of jeopardy of being nervous for a game is ultimately why everyone was was so furious on this one. Okay, um, so look, we we understand the fury, chief. Um, we understand the anger. For me, I'm a football romantic, and for me, it's the romance of the game that got me. For me, it's the it's the last minute goals, the fact that you don't score, the, the fact that the score isn't you know 86, 92 like it is at the end of a basketball match. That's why goals are celebrated so so thoroughly, so so unbelievably emotionally because. The less something happens, the more it means. And that the, the concept of this kind of was another step to sucking the life out of that. The fact that it was the same over and over and over again, the same eventually becomes boring. But in actual fact, we've been here before. And, you know, Andy's talked about the, the different kind of generations that you grew up in and this this now kind of feels like my Premier League, where I didn't really get it at the time. I was 11. Um, but actually, the Premier League are now trying to insert a clause in the Premier League contract that any, any team that decides to break away from the Premier League um, will be excluded from the league forever. Banished, if you will. But in actual fact... The hypocrisy here is rife, and it has been rife. Um, it's pungent, absolutely it, pungent. Because the Premier League, for anybody who maybe doesn't know, the Premier League essentially is a breakaway league from the EFL. That's exactly what it is. Greg Dyche, I think his name is pronounced, even though it's spelled Dyke for whatever reason, um, conceived this plan that that ITV would, would buy the rights to games of the, the most viewed teams, the most popular teams, Manchester United, Arsenal, Spurs, Tottenham, and Manchester United, Spurs, Tottenham, and someone else at the time, I can't remember who it is now, um, but <laughs> honestly, because but, it, but things have changed so much since then, so 
they bought this. They, their idea was to, to to show these particular games on on television um, all the time. Um, they would give them exorbitant amounts of money. And actually, what happened was Rupert Murdoch and Sky came in, usurped them, bought the contract, and thus the Premier League was created at the behest of the top five clubs, um, at the behest of the television companies. And what we have seen is a chasm of financial difference created between the top tier in English football and grassroots football. Um, a similar thing has happened with the Champions League, um, which has done nothing more than increase that gap. So realistically, it seems strange if you look at it at a very basic and base level that this kind of proposal would cause so much outrage when actually we've seen this happen before for all intents and purposes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the biggest problems with it for me, why it caused such an outrage is, is, from the very get-go is is the branded. The second you mentioned European Super League, because that term has been the bogeyman in football, for a long time, whether it was going to be called that or not, it was known as something that would be a European Super League. And then to come out and name it, Europe, I mean, you're on you're on a hiding to nothing from the get go. But you're right if you strip away the the um, the over emotional reaction to it. <clears throat> this is nothing more than than the natural course for the way football has gone and is at the moment. As you've rightly said, the Premier League. If anything threatened the, the pyramid of English football, as Sky loved to bang on about, it was Sky in the Premier League. And it didn't just threaten it, it, it broke it. The EFL, as it's called now, League, what, what, what they're called, League One and League Two, how many, many names did they have before they, they settled on that? How many different sponsors have they had in that time? Uh, the Premier League, the gap between Premier League, Premier League clubs, even, you know, top half uh, mid-table Premier League clubs and mid-table championship clubs is, is massive in terms of finances, in terms of personnel, in terms of, of, of everything they've got, training facilities, academies, all the, all the rest of it. And at the very top, there's a league within a league, the Premier League. That's why we have a Europe, the, the proposal for a European Super League, Those top that top six. Okay, people can joke about Spurs and Arsenal, that's fine, you know. But in reality, Man City... Man United, Chelsea and Liverpool, you know, they <clears throat> they are streets ahead. And of course, you've got to say Spurs as well and Arsenal. I mean, money-wise and capacity-wise, stadium-wise, they're streets ahead of the rest of the Premier League. Um, they, they are playing amongst themselves. Everybody knows that for years... You know, in various incarnations, there's been the big four. It's been super, you know, top six. It's been um, Grand Slam Sunday, all that. For a long time, people used to know what the top four would be at the start of the season. And maybe the order might vary slightly. Um, And that's it. And that's because the money from the Champions League, also a new competition, which also pretty much devalued uh, the other major competitions that were around it. Um, previously the Cup Winners' Cup and the UEFA Cup um, has fed into that as well. And Sky, off the back of it, made a fortune showing it. You know, um, they've cemented their brand. They've 
taking control really of 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 um of broadcasting in the United Kingdom off the back of showing the Premier League um for 30 years so and if you as as you also as you said if you weren't on board if you weren't in the right league at the time you got left behind and if you happened to be hitting your peak or hitting your stride in, in those years in the early 90s well you were you were catapulted into the stratosphere like like certain clubs were and and that's really what has set the landscape of certainly english football and i would say european football for the last 25 years um not only the clubs in the big leagues uh, the recognized leagues which get uh, into the champions league on a on a regular basis your real madrid your barcelona's bayern munichs and so on but also in the in the smaller leagues which the champions league is supposed supposedly helps by by including uh more teams from well yeah but you scupper those leagues because you know you're given that one team or the the two teams that, that make it year after year a lot of money and you're completely skewing those leagues so no other t- no other team has a chance to compete so to to attack this and for 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 I understand why football fans can attack this on the basis of money and on the basis of of ruining competition and on the basis of taking away what football fans want from the game. That's absolutely true and absolutely fair. But for the me for for Sky to be doing it, for for the pundits who milk it off all these TV channels to be doing it purely, in my opinion, and call me cynical, but because they probably felt they weren't going to be involved in in the rights for this Super League. Should it have ever happened? For me, it's it's, it's rank hypocrisy, and that and you know I agree with you in, in, in what you're saying. The romance in football, the the fairness in football, the the chances of of well the the level playing field whereby a team could get promoted and regularly happened a team would get promoted and could could even go on and win the league the next year or certainly be in the in the shake up the top four. Um, and pushing for league titles. Team, Chief Nottingham Forest, Nottingham yeah, Forest came up, from, come up from the second division as it was at the time, won the first division, won the European Cup, and then retained the European Cup. And That's would, not possible anymore. It's absolutely impossible, and they did that off, you know, not because they had the biggest budget. You know, they 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 had the they had the players, they had the manager, and they were wankers at the time because, of course. In, in history, they were a bit of a rival for us at that time. But you will not get that now. And people say, oh, well, Leicester did, did that that one year. That's fine, yeah. But that's the exception that, that proves the rule. And they went into Europe and they did all right the next season. They got the quarterfinals and they were quite happy. But they've fallen away again. And they've managed to cement themselves as a top half and even a top six uh, Premier League team pushing for the top four again this season, but they wouldn't have been in, in, included in in a European in a European Super League. So, you know there are, there are holes in it everywhere. But for for Sky and for people who have played a large part in in creating the football landscape that there is now, at the solely at the expense of the football landscape that existed before, it's rank hypocrisy and it doesn't sit well at all. Yeah, 100%. Andy, I'm going to just read you a bit of an extract from um, a post that uh, the Kruvasud put out, uh, essentially the Milan Ultras, um, which for me kind of encapsulates it. Um, 
honestly, it makes us it makes us laugh to see all those people in control in the control room of football suddenly claim we fans are first and foremost. The Super League is just the latest in a long line of innumerable manoeuvres over decades that has made football into a business. The birth of this new competition would certainly be another shove to the football of old, which is by now a distant memory and will inevitably obscure the tradition of various national leagues robbing football of the undeniable principle of sporting meritocracy. But the thing that most leaves us indignant is the hypocrisy of all those who have contributed to making this sport nothing but a business. Those who today stand up in the name of fans, but only because they saw their remunerative and seemingly... Oh, my screen's just gone off. Raging. I was doing so well there. Uh, and seemingly untouchable projects fall apart. They go on to cite when the Champions League was uh, created, um, the salaries that are being paid to players, um, the World Cup being awarded to Qatar. Um, and essentially what they've said at the end is now that the money is running out, feel free to fight it out between yourselves, but don't you dare use the name of the fans. Pigs. So, you know, I don't know, how close is how close is that to how you feel about this, given the, you know, the major voices that have dissented uh, against this project? Um, pretty much perfectly aligned, Dave, to be honest with that statement, is, is how close my thoughts would be. Um, the reality is, like, to kind of bring it back to Liverpool, but... You know, we, we kind of like to think that Liverpool's a bit different. You know, the idea of Scouse exceptionalism, that, that we do it a bit different. This means more. You'll never walk alone, all of that. And it's like with these owners, and I'm sure we'll come on to, to have the debate about the owners, but it feels like, you know, they came in and they, they kind of had a go at learning the culture and they had a go at kind of getting immersed in the, the idea of the of what the Liverpool fans want to see based on the values of the club and the city. and it's fairly clear that the mask has just slipped and that that wall is only a token gesture and those things they did because these owners and, and owners in general, they've been chancing their arm with these things for for pretty much the entire time they've been here. You have the £77 tickets, which, you know, at the time I thought, fair play, they did the U-turn. There was obviously the mass walkout at the, uh, at the Sunderland game in 2016. And they came out, they apologized, they recognized their mistakes. And I said, you know what? At the time, I was like, you know what? Fair enough. You know, you've done something here. You've realized the, uh, the reaction. You haven't doubled down and, 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 and you've listened to the supporters. And I thought, you know, that's great. Okay. It was, it was horrific in the first place. But then you had the, the furloughing of the staff in the summer. And it was at that point you start to think, like, you know what these people think. You know what their mindset is. You have to have this horrible, selfish, greedy mindset to be a billionaire in the first place. And you kind of know that's how they think anyway. But if while you're in charge of a, a football club like Liverpool, if you can just try and hide it as best you can, try and do your bit to act in the way and the manner that supporters and the city that aligns with that, that aligns with our views and, and how we see things in our worldview. And then obviously there's this. And for me, like, it's just, it is, it's a step too far because they've, 
completely tried to change the fundamentals of what we love about the sport uh, all in the name of just getting this constant stream of revenue and you know Barcelona and Real Madrid are in financially dire straits that's why they wanted it the English clubs well there's only four European places well there's only four Champions League places there's six teams always competing for it you know how much can you really how much money can you really pump into something whereby one bad season could mean everything falls apart but it's the idea of you know jeopardy and the consequences of losing it's terrible for business but it's great for sport it's great for everything we love about the game i mentioned earlier the idea of you know being nervous for a game that's why you want but that's absolutely terrible for business because it's so volatile and it's so it fluctuates so much and the yeah, they're completely they're completely at odds with each other aren't they yeah and that's an issue but at the same time i think when you come into a football club or a sport any sport in general that works in the way football does, obviously excluding the likes of NFL, where there is very little jeopardy and consequences for, for losing games. I think when you come into a sport, and especially a club like Liverpool, you just kind of have to accept that there's a limit to your venture capitalism and your greed. And you can't just take it right to the extremes like you can if you're in charge of you know, Amazon or Facebook. I know that like Amazon and Facebook are far bigger than, than any football club, but you get my kind of point with those things. There's no, there's no Facebook ultras. There's nobody that, there's no Facebook legacy fan, which I mean, like what can we get? Don't get me started on that new phrase. I don't even want to get started. in what, it. Can, can we define it, Dave? Cause I don't even know like what it means. Am I a legacy fan? I'm only 22. Can I be a legacy fan? What, what I'm does not it really mean? Sure. I think it means. I think it means. So for me, and I think this is the crux of the issue, particularly when it comes to Liverpool and why it has been so distasteful. That a legacy fan is someone who has bought into the fabric and the values of the club. Right. Um, now that's what I would deem it as. But this has been this term has been thrown about, and you're right; it hasn't really been defined, but. The issue that I have, as you spoke about with the owners, and Chief, I'll give you a crack at this shortly, um, is that you're right, they have made mistakes. And I always give them a lot of credit for rolling back and, you know, holding their hands up and going, do you know what? Yeah, we got it wrong. But all of those instances have happened because they have not engaged with the fans and they continue to make that same mistake of not engaging with the fans. And you're absolutely spot it's on. It's not a mistake, Dave. It's not no, a mistake. Well, it's, well, this is it. This is it. It's almost, it's almost, they'd rather ask for forgiveness than ask for permission. Um, and that only tells me that they know what the answer is going to be. And they're just chancing their exactly. arm. Exactly. Um, so for us, you know, we, we have, there's this, this club has, is deemed different and we, we pride ourselves on being different. We pride ourselves in the values that, that Shankly bestowed on this club and, and those seem to be being ripped away um, by by these guys slowly and w- not necessarily ripped away, but they're, they're attempting to erode them piece by piece and the fans continue to resist. Yeah, and, and this is the thing. And, you know, you've, you've seen like what happened outside Ellen Road with our coach coming in and outside Stamford Bridge. 
I'm sure you'd have seen very similar scenes with Liverpool and Manchester United being at home this weekend if they didn't pull out of it. And it, it goes to show, I mean, we talked a little bit in the pre-pod about, about Bamford's um, uh, comparing it with the reaction to the racism, which yes, there has been coverage and yes, there has been some action taken, but goodness me, it's not the same action as what can happen when the likes of Sky Sports or other people like that can be hit in the pocket. Um, that that uh, that erupts a a completely different type of passion for these people, and that's that's half the problem with this all. And as for as for the owners, yeah, it's it's not a mistake, and it's not like because it's in business. Even if you just think of of business as a like just on its own, forget football, forget values, forget Bill Shankly, forget any of this, forget the romance of the game. In business, if you're providing a service for people, you're not going to make drastic changes to something like this without consulting with your stakeholders, with your customers, with the people who who regularly buy into whatever it is you're doing or whatever service you're providing. So that's only talking about business. That's normal practice in business. In football, where fans have such a a massive impact where fans, you know, literally live and breathe this stuff where all the money that you get and all the the great history of the club and the games are are fans play a massive part in this. To not consult them is is just completely unforgivable. <laughs> and it's exactly what you say, Dave. You you met you use the phrase chance in their arm. And for me, FSG have just been chance in their arm with these things for the last three years. And I don't know if, if we've if we've maybe done the the sky chat and the, the hypocrisy chief kind of um, summed it up very well there, but Gary Neville has really annoyed me over the last few days with the hypocrisy. But one of the things he did hit the nail on the head with was when he called these owners bottle merchants, because that's exactly what these guys are. These guys are, have no stomach. They're not, uh, they're some of the weakest, most, <laughs> I'm sorry if this offends some people, but they're the most fucking socially awkward people you'll ever see interviewed on on TV. And you know these are these are like complete beta meals who can't stand up to a second of scrutiny. Who's who've got to where they've got by squirming their way up the financial ladder, and do not kind of consult with people or. It all comes down to this for me, really. It's the idea that, you know, these people are, are got, they are of the mindset of the Jeff Bezos's and the Mark Zuckerbergs, and they will just go to any extreme to make their product the most, the most valuable as they can. And the reality is that with the power that fans have shown that they have over the last couple of days and, and years, really, with, with different things for Liverpool, um, there is a limit to your venture capitalism, and if you don't like that, don't get involved in a football club. Do something else. There's loads of other things. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Chief, just on just on just on what Andy was saying there about um, you know, the fans and their vested interest in the club. There's, it's for to me. I don't know what I don't know what your take on this is, but to me, it almost seems like. Football fans feel to these guys like an easy target because their opinion is no matter what we do, they're not going to stop supporting their football club because it's not like they can just switch to another brand of chocolate bar or milk or bread or whatever. They're not going to stop supporting their 
football club. So have do do these owners and not just not just FSD, I'm talking just football wide in general, do they take advantage of that emotional attachment knowing that they're not gonna lose a massive amount of their customer base? Um and actually in this occasion, has that backfired on them? <coughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely do take advantage. There's, there's no doubt about that. You know, you're buying a captive audience. Um, when you, when you buy a club and when you buy a club like Liverpool, you've got a worldwide one. So the, the opportunities for exploitation are rife, and you know, of course, they, they use them. I think Andy's right. It's not a mistake. Uh, it's their policy to do things and, and test the water. And then if the reaction is, you know, if it's too hot, they, they pull back. And yeah, bottle merchants, I mean, it, it, it sums up kind of what, what, uh, what you might turn them as if, you know, you say that they, they don't do it. What would be termed as the honorable way. They don't come forward and, and have, you know, working groups and, and, have discussions with fans and take the temperature beforehand and, and try to work out the kinks and so on. They tend to dump the, the whole fucking load and then take it all back and sort of reintroduce bits in, in increments where they can. Um, but again, for me, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't, a, this, this isn't something you can really level at, at the owner's. Or oh, you can, but what are you leveling at them? Um, you're trying to make more money from from this product. Um, okay, so what is your business? Oh, your hedge fund managers. Okay, and where are you from? You're from the United States. And what connection do you have to Liverpool? Absolutely none. In fact, we've barely even been since we bought the club ten years ago. And what connection do you have for football? Absolutely none. We know nothing about the game at all. So why are you getting involved in it? To make money from it. And then 10 years later, people say, you fuckers are trying to make money from this. You know, that's what they're there for. And what I'm getting at here is if you if, if, if people don't want that, then they should have they should have made more of a fuss earlier. Um, the Premier League needs to be a, an organization that cares about the people. Well, the type of people who own its clubs and the clubs that are in it and again coming back to the money and the hypocrisy the Premier League have continually and continuously failed to ensure that responsible people or people at least with the interests or on the proviso that even if they don't have the interests of this institution they're taking over at heart then within the rules they are that are laid out by the Premier League they are forced to respect the traditions of the institution they've bought. None of that is applied. The, the, the rules all exist, but none of them are applied. You've got oligarchs in charge. You've got very questionable states running football clubs with terrible human rights records. You've got disgraced former Thai prime ministers owning clubs at one point, you know. Um, the, the good guys bizarrely in this appear you know you would think are the hedge fund managers terrible people a lot of them but in a world dominated by the types of people that the premier league sees fit to own football club not to mention the pornographers and, and so on 
you know, and the betting companies and all the rest of it. The, it's ridiculous, really, for fans to not for fans, but but for football and for for the for the institution of football in England, the Premier League especially, led by Sky, to be erupting over this. This is a natural course of allowing your number one sport to become purely a business and not even a reputable business, a fucking dodgy business run with, with really dodgy people at the top of, of major, major financial and cultural institutions here. So I think it's a bit rich. Yeah, the owners are, are, are arseholes. Well, who knew? They're billionaire hedge fund managers. They're yeah, they're literally they're, like their job is to literally bet against other people's financial exactly. security. You know that that's it. They're they're risk assessors, aren't they? And, and they make money out of essentially other people's misfortune. And they've made a fortune doing it. So there's plenty of misfortune out there. But they brought some of it on themselves here. They're going to have to save a lot of face, do a lot of crawling. But ultimately, they they don't give a monkey's. As long as what they'll care about is is their share price or the price of the club, the value of the club, and whether or not they see now, and that will bring another question: whether or not they see with the the this is the death of a European Super League or anything of that kind, and any way for them to be able to guarantee their investment like they can in in the American sports and decide that they need to sell, or whether they look for another way to capitalize and make the club more valuable and therefore make money for themselves and their their shareholders or whatever fucking hedge funds have. But, you know, to cry about it now is, is, is really trying to fucking lock the door or bolt the door after the, lock the door after the, the horse is bolted. You know, it's, it's long since gone. So there needs to be major reform or this isn't going to mean anything because it's definitely going to happen again. Yeah. I, I can't disagree with you there, Andy. Look, I, I want to stick with I want to stick with the point of how quickly the entire football world has mobilised against this particular venture. Um, you know, the head of UEFA, the head of FIFA have come out, and I just want to just throw a few things at you for, from the head of FIFA. Um, Gianni Infantino, when he took over in, in 2016, um, he appointed. Um, a Portuguese guy from the Justice Department um, called Miguel Madero. Um, he was to chair an independence governing committee, which was supposed to clean up FIFA. That was his job. But what actually happened was um, when he put in a fit and proper test for people that were supposed to sit on FIFA's board, um, that alienated and excluded a high-ranking member of the Russian government. Now, this was in 2016. Where did the World Cup go in 2018? It went to Russia. So um, he talks a lot about vote buying, um, pressure, influence. Um, and after eight months in this role, um, trying to bring actual reform and change, he was dismissed. Um, and what he said was there were certain people in this role that stayed and certain people that didn't. This guy has a pristine CV um, and his 
very candid response was to say, if you look at the people who remained in the role and their background and look at the people who didn't, that will tell you a story in itself. Um, so there's fundamental problems at the head of FIFA. So much so that Trinidad and Tobago um, had a, an election for their head of the FA and the Caribbean holds a massive sway in FIFA voting, although they are might be deemed as like a fairly tiny portion of the football world. They've got like twice as many, or sorry, nearly three times as many votes as South America. So having influence there uh, is massive. And what Infantino did is when a new guy came in to kind of take over that role ahead of the FA, um, they pushed a court case through, basically created a coup uh, and took over to hang on to that control. So, you know, all of these things as we've talked about, the rank hypocrisy everywhere. This, to me, still remains a closed shop. And when you look at the Qatar World Cup, it's another fine example of how football is being exploited. But the point is, do can you see a world where football gets back to its roots? Can you see this as the beginning of, for want of a better term, a revolution? to trying to bring the working man sport back to the working man? Or is this just a hiccup in the road of completely destroying the sport through greed and hunger for the dollar? Uh, no, I don't think there's any chance of it ever going back to the, the working man sport. There's too much to lose. I mean, never mind these, as we said, bottle merchants who, who own the clubs and the CEOs. Forget about them for a second. There's There's too much to lose for... For everyone who's in, in in any sort of a high position at this point, whether that's whether that's Sky, and um, whether that's Amazon Prime or whoever um, is is getting the rights to these things, anyone like that, there's just far too much to lose for for. I assume you're talking like you know ticket prices to be to be brought back down, and there to be a certain salary cap where football can be competitive again, and people can sp- kind of spend the same amount of money. And stories like you guys mentioned, Nottingham Forest and and Watford and Sunderland from from back in the day. Who, I'm even talking about like even the equal distribution of wealth would would be a brilliant start. No, because ultimately, as a lot of people have said, with the kind of the racism stuff that that football is a is a section of society and therefore is always going to mirror society. And there's racism in society, so there's going to be racism in football. The world is is a greedy place. It's a place where people only look after themselves and people are selfish and people don't want to help each other out. People don't have these these values of, of community really on the whole. Um, and therefore football's gonna be like that because football's a high you know, a, it's the most popular sport. It's an entertainment industry. People are going to want to invest in it. There's large sums of money for people who do want to invest in it. There's large sums of money for TV companies and people like this. And they're never going to let that go because there's too much to lose. Ultimately, no matter how football goes, you'll always have millions of people, billions of people tuning into Champions League finals, to tuning into a big Premier League game, tuning into the World Cup final. These things are always going to happen and there's always going to be money. There's always going to be money to be made out of it. And if that means, um, you know, cutting off the the working man, as you say, if that means, you know, however they're going to get the money, it doesn't matter if it's from legacy fans, as we, we talked about earlier, it doesn't matter if it's from 
the rich, if it doesn't matter if it's from the 16 to 24 year olds, which has been a cause of much debate over the last couple of days. However, they're getting it. It's the same money going into their pockets, same money going into their bank accounts. And therefore, I don't see any way in which it can, in which it can, and, you know, come back to that. What I think will happen is they'll have had a bit of a shock with the reaction to this. They'll have had a bit of a, a fright. They'll have maybe, it'll maybe have put a, a ramp in their plans for, for what they ultimately want to do with football. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, fans are probably, these are experts in, in PR, in, in PR stunts, you know, it may not seem like it with the people advising them over the last couple of days with this, but ultimately they're right now coming up with plans to do things to, um, make it out as if they're they're changing their ways um, to try and get the fans back on side. And ultimately, August's going to come around. It's going to be a new season. We've still got what we've had for the last 10, 15 years. Fans are going to be back in the grounds and they're banking on people forgetting about this. But make no mistake about it, they're going to chance their arm again at some point. Um, they're going to try to make this a constant stream of revenue for them, which is all they're interested in. And That's why teams are settling for being in the top four every year. That's why it's so important to kind of be in that. Um, and ultimately the difference between winning the league and, and just being in the top four is, is far, far smaller than, than, you know, the difference between fifth and fourth even, or the difference between being in the championship and being in the premiership, you know? So that's the way, that's the way it's going. I can't see it going backwards. What I can see is things slowing down for a while, but I mean, I mentioned three things earlier, the 77 pound tickets, the furlough and staff, and this, um, do you think they're going to stop here? Because I, unless their reputation is down the drain so much that they might lose some money over it, then I don't think it will. Because that's all, you know, we we talk about it so much in life with like landlords or whatever. You say, everyone always says until they're hurt in the pocket, there's going to be no effective change. And that's the same here. So the only reason that they won't try this again is because of their reputation and their financial stability or greed has been threatened so much by the reaction to it yeah that that all seems fairly level-headed and, and pretty much on point chief i suppose i'm interested to know your thoughts on how much do you think the reputational damage will hurt fsg and john henry um given that the massive outrage that this has caused. And listen, we can call it full outrage. It is what it is. But the entire football world is mobilized against this. And as you know, and as we all know, um, he has been been made uh, characterized as one of the ringleaders, which is probably fair. Maybe not, maybe not the captain of the ship, but certainly one of the first mates. So, you know, how much do you feel that the reputational damage that's occurred here will actually impact them as an organization? Um, as an organization, I don't, I don't know, I have to say, because I don't know who else would be, be raging apart from uh, Liverpool fans. I mean, the rest of the organization is not connected with football, is it? So, as Andy says, unless it really starts to hurt them in the pocket and I don't see how it can with the situation the way it is. Even with the best will in the world, fans aren't going to boycott games when they when they get a chance to go back. 
So, you know, they probably are going to get away with it in, in that sense and that people are just going to be fucking over the moon to get back in the grounds and, and try to get back to normal and, and all the rest of it. And with next season, they're hoping, they'll probably hope that, as Andy says, they can, they can, they'll ride it out and, and people kind of forget. But he's absolutely right as well. It, um, as you know, as I mentioned earlier, it, it's something that it, that is going to keep coming back because they'll want this. They want this constant revenue, revenue stream. Um, and to be honest, it, as Andy said as well, they've, they've got it already with the, with the top four. All all this would do is ensure against a seat a season like Liverpool are having this season, for example. I mean, nine times out of ten, ordinarily under this in this situation, you'd expect Liverpool to be in the top four. This season, they might not get there. They may be looking at Arsenal. Maybe looking at Arsenal and going, look what happens if you're out of the Champions League for a couple of years. Well, the thing is with Arsenal, to be honest, my my thoughts on Arsenal is they don't deserve to be there because they've been out of contention for a long time. And and what actually Arsenal are uh, not to get too sidetracked on this, but Arsenal are a cautionary tale of what happens when you settle for just coming fourth. Well, I think this is the point that I'm making. Yeah. Once you do drop out for a couple of years, you can essentially get cut adrift, and that is that's the crux of the issue here. But but if you do, if you are only aiming for fourth, if you do become complacent in the fact mm-hmm. that you will get that fourth, you will slip out. You Sorry, see just see just a check on this new format as well. Like you know the idea of there's going to be like two or three teams that qualify based on just their coefficient. Yeah. That all ties into that idea. Is that mm-hmm. in the plans for 23-24, or is that just yeah. being talked about? No, that's in the new Champions League plan. That's in the new Swiss model, and I think, Chief, this, I, th- I suppose this, this comes on to that point of safeguarding, safeguarding the financial security of each club. That is, is this a... Is this a carrot? Is this a compromise? Is this a... And it was always it, there. It but, is, but is this even more of a sweetener to the big clubs? Because it looks like there was clubs that fell kind of either side. It was almost like, because Barron came out, I think you'll probably know better than me, but Barron came out and said, no, we're sticking with the new Champions League format. So it was kind of like, it's either A or B, take your pick. Yeah, because this was going to supposedly replace the Champions League if it came in, not, not the domestic leagues, and they made it... Uh, they made it very, very clear that um, they wanted to to continue competing in their in their domestic leagues as if as if it wouldn't change anything. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, of course it's a sweetener to the big clubs, but the co and the coefficient might help. It might help um, some of those clubs, but it's the coefficient in Europe. So obviously that goes against any club that's just trying to break its way in a new club that hasn't been a, a exactly competitor so i mean it's the same thing but it's just a bit more subtle isn't it that's it that's it and and you know i think in a way that's probably why the likes of henry and so on have so misjudged the reaction here because it's essentially not very different to the new champions league format and apart from Apart from the fact that you could say it takes away a bit of a bit of jeopardy, because compared to the new Champions League format, it doesn't you know there, there isn't that much of a difference. I think the Super League format is better personally 
as a European competition, as a second competition to your domestic league, if you look at the formats and stuff. So, you know, I understand the arguments, but, uh, and the financial doping and so on. So, you know, I'm not for it. But at the same time, if you look at the new Champions League model, it's absolute dog shit for me. It doesn't make sense. 36 teams in a league and you only play 10, 10 games. So why are there 36 teams in the league? And then you've got teams coming in and coefficient, but you're not you're not stacking it in favour of the big clubs and the previous winners. Of course you are. If I feel like this whole 36-team thing in the league format, I think that's all like a big smoke screen for what is what they ultimately want, which is the coefficient. Uh, teams getting in on coefficient. They want that just constant revenue stream. I don't think the 36-team group stage is going to make it any more exciting than what it is right now and i think you know there's an argument that the what happened what we've got right now is it needs reformed in itself but i think it's all to do with that and i think you know whether it's a super league or whether it's the new champions league format um if you took away that uh guaranteed participation every year whether it's the 15 teams whether it's the three teams based on coefficient I th- i'd say that i've absolutely no interest in reforming any other part of it um sorry for cutting in there no, no, Tom. No, no. I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, I think it is. It, that's why the 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 argument that's been made. It's, it's all been a problem in 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 sales here, basically. John Henry and the like, and 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 Perez and whatever. They, they've not sold it right. The PR hasn't been right. And UEFA, they're they're old hands. Um, what what they've you know. What the the breakaway thing is saying? Well, look at the state of this Champions League thing. I I don't want to be involved in that. And what we're offering is maybe a bit bit better. You know, there's not that much difference in terms of closed shop, which is what it's been really being attacked for. And there really isn't much difference. And the Champions League is a bit of a fucking closed shop as it is. So they're looking at it going, well, let's float this, and then fucking atom bombs have gone off. You know, the big explosions everywhere, and and you know the shit's properly hit the fan. But the new Champions League format is 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 rubbish, and the hypocrisy of it all, as as we've mentioned, is is mad. It's it it all comes down to to the constant revenue stream, as as Andy says, and as as a business, that's obviously what they need. But as a sport, that's you know, that's not sport, then, is it? So, where are you left? Really, at the end of that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that and that that kind of that kind of is what it is. Um, where are where are you left at the end of it? Um, I think Chiefs right, Andy. Football absolutely needs reform, and the new Champions League format just to stick with it for a while because I don't want to just gloss over this because it's really really pertinent for me. Is that okay? They cite that. There's too many meaningless games in the group stages, which is absolutely fair. It's a 36-team league. There's only eight teams who can get into the, the the last eight or 16 teams into the quarterfinals. So how many meaningless games are we going to have? Realistically, the motivation behind this is to get the big... The PSGs, the Man Cities, the Liverpools, the Real Madrid, the Barcelona, the Manchester United on TV more. To get them on TV more. UEFA were devastated when Manchester United got knocked out of the Champions League. 
absolutely devastated. And these were the types of things that happened that made the Champions League reform the group stages, that made them put top fours in, that made them wait towards the bigger teams because they got more viewers, they got more sponsorship money, they got more advertisement money. So, you know, do you really see this as that much different? Well, like, how great was the Champions League last year when it came back after lockdown? I mean, that's the most I've enjoyed football um, over this past year and a bit, year and a half, whatever. But was that great because was of that? the madness of the games? Because it was, or was it just because it was one game straight knockout? That's exactly what I think it is, Dave. I think that it's because it was a straight knockout. Now, if you were making a decision based on entertainment, based on the quality of the product, you would have seen that last year. The Leon beating the cities, the eight two Bayern Barcelona. There were so many great games, and it's not to say that there there aren't. Uh, great two-legged ties because we all know that there are we've been involved in a load ourselves but i definitely think the 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 ratio of of great games in that many competition compared to your average quarterfinal and after the champions league was just incomparable and if every game mattered yeah every game mattered and if you were making a decision based on the entertainment and what you would supposedly think that 16 to 24 year olds sorry to come back to that again would like to see you would have stuck with that. You would have said, oh, okay, maybe the one leg... Do you think the 24-year-olds want to see Bayern Munich 8, Barcelona 2? Absolutely. 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 That's the dream. Do they want to see a first leg... Um, I can't even think of an example now. The one that sticks in the heads, Augsburg, Liverpool and Klopp's first season, that was Europa League, but you take oh, my yeah, point. Oh, yeah, or an Atletico, Liverpool 0-0 or whatever it is. Yeah. Or, yeah, or you know, Liverpool going to Dinamo Cave in the round of 16 and drawing nil-nil and taking a result back to Anfield. No, they don't want to see that. But ultimately, your audience has to double to, for it to be financially worth switching to a one-leg setup. Because if you have a really exciting first leg, or if you have a really excited one-legged game and 24 million people turn in, just picked a number out of my arse there, or you could have two really boring games, but ultimately 16 million people turn uh, tune in each time, well, at the end of it all, the product's shite, but you've got 8 million more people tuning in, paying their subscriptions, putting money into UEFA's pocket. So, um, you know, that's that that's why that'll never happen. And you get people talking. I was talking to my, my mate the other day. We were talking about like the old, obviously we're not old enough to remember it, but the old Champions League format where it was straight knockout. I mean, how much more exciting would that be? You have like the likes of Glenn Torn playing Marseille the year they won it. You know, you'd have such great kind of shocks like that, but ultimately, it doesn't produce the, it doesn't produce the, the it doesn't have the teams on TV as much as as you even need them to be, and as much as these clubs supposedly need them to be. So, I think it's just a sad state of affairs the way things are going in that way. We all heard about the the proposals for the Club World Cup where they were going to basically make it like a pretty much like a normal World Cup where there was like a load of teams. I think it was twelve or sixteen. Um, and I think in that your participation was guaranteed based on like whether you won a UEFA Cup in the last three years or something like that, or maybe there was something about coefficient as well. And Klopp obviously came out as as strongly against that. And they're gonna have these players playing week in, week out, like as in they'll have them playing a midweek, uh Saturday. And as I was saying in the pre pod, they might even have two games in midweek because we've seen that at times this year. 
um, or when the fixtures have been really squeezed in tightly. In, in the end, you'll see teams knackered and you'll maybe see a few more shocks in the Premier League, which will gain a bit more interest that way. And ultimately, the players are left for dry. And I don't think we've mentioned this podcast, but Gundogan's tweet now, where he's very much wants to, to shift the focus on the fact that the players don't want this either. And you would talk about the fans being consulted. The bloody players and managers are never consulted in any of this. They're just pawns. They're just robots that go out and uh, and may ultimately make money for UEFA. And the damage it does to their body or the the quality of football that we end up seeing is secondary to these people because at the end of the day, people are tuning in and there will be the all great game and that will keep people interested. So it's just it's just mental, but it's always going to go this way. They're always going to be greedier. They're always going to want more games. Like, I don't like, maybe this is a bit of a year dark on it, but I don't like the fact that all the Premier League games are on TV at the minute. I don't like the idea. Man, I, I want I want like five or six, at least 3 p.m. kickoffs. Yeah, yeah. And again, I go back to this thing about we all kind of grew up with uh, with a different way of, of, of how we lo- fell in love with football and stuff. But like part of it for me, even kind of eight years ago when I was um, you know, 14, 15, 16, Part of supporting Liverpool was was tuning into that 3 p.m. game at Anfield uh, against Wigan. You know what I mean? And that was that was kind of part of it. And if you were on Sky, it was great because you got to actually watch it on TV without having to trawl through 400 pornographic adverts. And, but that was all kind of like part of it for me. You know, it, it was more special when there were a couple of games on a Sunday. Maybe you got a half a half twelve and a half five and a on a Saturday. If you were lucky, you get Monday night football. But now everything's on TV, and I couldn't tell you the last time I watched Match of the Day. Oh, genuinely, it's been years since I sat down to watch a full Match of the Day, and it's not as if I'm finding I'm watching the games or I'm finding the highlights elsewhere. I'm just watching way less football because it's all available to me, and it's not in any way kind of special to have to, to have football on the TV to watch. So, I mean, I'm going way off track there, and apologize for it, but. It's just you know that idea that everything has to be on TV, everything has to be as many games as physically possible, and you're just ruining athletes. You're ruining the spectacle for for supporters like us who have watched it for ages, and all for what? For like this small market of FIFA generation, who you know ultimately will become as disenfranchised with this because if you've got a European Super League or any sort of Super League. Your West Brom Burnley that nobody tunes into right now, that'll become the Arsenal AC Milan who end up just fighting for 10th or whatever it is. You'll get games that boring. You'll get teams changing their styles of play to suit that and to, to be pragmatic and to get results. So it'll end up being no different. But uh, you know, what do I know? These are all billionaires who have their own best interests at heart and they all seem to agree with it. So I don't know. Yeah, but I think, you know, you're absolutely spot on there, and I think this is kind of the overriding feeling for everybody is that, you know, Florentino Perez said, you know, everybody wants to see Manchester United. Who wouldn't want to see Manchester United, Real Madrid, three times a season? Well, actually, the the more the more you push something out, the less special it becomes, and the less interested people will become, and that's kind of where I feel that football is going to go, and inevitably. Chief, it's going to get there one way or another. So just to kind of wrap up, um, do you think this is the end of this and the start of something good? Or do you think this is just the start of something even worse than we've already experienced? <clears throat> I don't know where the fallout's going to go, but I would imagine that 
you definitely haven't heard the last last of it. I mean, this new Champions League format is set to come in what beginning of twenty three. Is it twenty three twenty four? Twenty three twenty four, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that's two two seasons away. Yeah, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, twenty three. Yep. Yeah. So two seasons away. So I, you, I wouldn't surprise me if if this is revisited before before then, perhaps, or or if, if other other things occur. I mean, don't forget before then. You've got the Euros, which, by the way, is another example of UEFA really giving a fuck about fans staging the Euros, trying to stage each game in a different city, in a different country. Um, that was their big idea, you remember? Yeah. Um, so really great if you're a football support and fan who follows their country, um, you know, to these tournaments. I'm sure that would have been affordable. Um so it's uh, just another just another pertinent point of hypocrisy there. But yeah, so you've got those. You've got uh, an African Cup of Nations. You've got a Premier League. You've got a, a Winter World Cup in Qatar. <laughs> you've got an Olympics. Um, so all these are squeezed in before 23-24. So, so let's see. Let's see if there are any footballers alive to take part in the fucking games because they've, they've been worked to death. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it's all going to go, but you know when these things, you know when you you look at things in history and like you you you've got the fat accompli and you, you look back with and you try to look at you know how did where did it begin how did it end up how did it come to be like that you've got hindsight they go how did they not notice that and why did they not do anything to sort that out at that point and you know with the benefit of hindsight. But it's going to be like that with football because it will it will eat itself, um, and it, it it it's just a matter of, of a logical conclusion because in the end it will it will if it tries to to continually the game always evolves and that's fine. I, I really don't want to sound like a reactionary because I'm not a reactionary. I think change is good, and I think change is necessary and it's constant. And in football, it, it it's certainly a constant. Um, you know, Andy's talking about the the different ways in which we've different eras of football in which we've grown up in, like in terms of um, in terms of how we we get to consume consume it or watch it or you know engage with it or whatever, um, and you know its availability and, and and so on. But even in terms of rules, I mean, how many rule changes have have we lived through? I mean, you know, you, when we started watching football, you could you. I mean, Liverpool won the European Cup by passing the, the ball back to the goalkeeper. Yeah, best pass back in in world football, you know. Um, so you, you you can't do that anymore. You know, pick it up, bounce it, hold it, pull it out, get it back, pick it, out, it up, it bounce it, pull it out. Take ten minute spells out of games. Um, so you can't do that. You used to be you used to legitimately be able to tackle with two feet from behind and it wasn't a it wasn't it was barely a yellow card, never mind a red. Now you now you can get sent off for um for making a motion to tackle someone if you've already been booked or whatever. Or, you know, you can you can get sent off for kicking the ball away and then because your foot doesn't disappear after you make contact with the ball and you accidentally kick someone, you get a red card for that as well. So I mean the game is is changed absolutely immeasurably. Um, in the time that, that we've been watching, the competitions have evolved and changed in the time that we've been watching, and they will continue to do so. Which is why, um, 
which is why the Premier League statement uh, and an effort to try and put this clause in, whether that's rumor or fact, I, I, I would ima- imagine, given the circumstances, probably true. Um, seems seems so bizarre, but the you know the the, the change has that has to come now. I think from from um, authorities, the change can't be driven by the elite clubs anymore. It can't be driven as a market a market driven business because otherwise it will destroy itself as 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 a sport. It will become something completely different and entertainment and possibly even going down the, 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 the WWE route, you know, as I, I already feel we're entering that era with, with VAR and some of the decisions and, and, and the way Sky report and the Hyper Bowl and so on. But it will it will completely cease to be the people's the people's game, you know, the the universal sport, the sport that you can play with. We'll still, you know, kids will still play with a tin can in the streets, but it won't be won't be what they're watching on on TV uh, because it will have completely changed. So, you know, I've, I've listened to the Anfield rappers, you know, and they've mentioned, you know, it should be treated as a, they should be treated as cultural institutions, and they're spot on. You know, there should be government legislation. About who can own them, as I've mentioned before, uh, that's just common sense. There should be some kind of fan involvement in the running of clubs. Again, it's just some kind of common sense. And that's not to say that every single fan gets a say. And people say, how would we ever decide? But there should be fan representation actually on the boards and, and with a proper say on all Premier League clubs. And so on and so on and so on. And it needs to be, it really needs to be reformed. Otherwise, it will be driven by the market and that can take it anywhere. Andy, what is what's your take on where we go next? Where would you like to see us go next? I'd like to just see the can kick down the road for a bit because I think that's best case scenario. I think ultimately these people aren't going to go away. These forces, the market forces that Chief mentions, are not going to go away. These are going to be what drives football until... You know, we get some sort of a, a German model where it's, I mean, I guess that's ideally where you'd like it to go. But I think England's and almost, I think the other leagues as well with, with the likes of the big giants like Real Madrid and Barcelona, I think we're, we've gone too far past the point where we can turn around and, and go back to something like that. Um, I think you're going to see everything that we love about football. You know, Dave, obviously me and you follow international football a bit like for me one of the most magical things about you know we you always remember the first world cup you watched we all everyone sort of thinks it's their favorite the first one they watched um and something the thing that's so special about that for me is that you get it every four years so like you're you're a completely different person every time a world cup rolls around and you've got you've got these memories of these great games and these underdog stories and, and things like this don't get it twisted like that the next time they see the money that the world cup's generating for fifa and for whoever these these people are they're not the world cup's not going to be every four years i can tell you that right now in our lifetime the world cup will be changed to a more frequent and probably more, well it's already been changed to more games isn't it because they've got a 48 have they got a 48 team World Cup for Qatar? Yeah, well, yeah, well, well, it, it, to be fair, not for Qatar. I don't think it's, it's 2026. Yeah. To be next. fair, there are more countries that need to be considered, so I can kind of get that. But I do take your point. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean the, ge- the general point is, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, it might benefit certain countries in, in that way. And, and we know as Northern Ireland fans, you know, you have to be in the top 13 teams in Europe to qualify for it when you see the likes of, you know, Panama and whoever it is. And I think it's great to have, you know, you, you want to have an equal geographical representation at, at World Cups, but ultimately it's, it doesn't really end up being the 32 best teams. But, you know, what I'm saying is I'm not sure they've got the interests of your Trinidad and Tobago's or your Northern Ireland at heart. They've got the interests of themselves at heart, and that's more games, more people watching, more money for them. And if that and distorts growing, the quality, growing that, growing that global brand, yeah. And if that Grow- distorts the quality of the competition, so be it, because people will tune in and people will will put the money in these people's pockets. And ultimately, I think that's that's where it's going. Um, and the more we can, or the the further we can kick the can down the road and just have football as we know it right now for a bit longer, which isn't great by any means. I mean, the whole VAR stuff, like, goodness me, we could do a podcast on that sometime. And, and, and the idea of that, without getting into it, it is the idea of the American buzz of waiting for the camera. It's not what we love when you're at a football game and you're with your mates and you score a goal and you have a quick glance at the linesman, you go mental. That's what we grew up with. That's what we fell in love with. Um, it's spontaneity, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what's that's what's being taken away from it ultimately. And all this ties in VAR, more teams, distortion of quality, talk of shortening games, this, that, and the other. That's it's all this kind of Americanized, globalized world. But it's not it's not going anywhere, unfortunately, is it? No, it's not. So just to wrap up, then um, we probably should have talked a little bit about the impact on some of the smaller nations domestic leagues but we don't have time and I'm tired but just to kind of evidence that point um, in 1967 my local team Glentorn from Belfast played Benfica in the European Cup Eusebio showing up at the Oval which is literally a ground which is built within a bomb crater from the war and Drew one each. Eusebio scored with five minutes to go and drew nil-nil in Benfica. They went on to get beaten by Manchester United in the final. And that was the first year away goals were brought into the competition. But those sorts of games and those sorts of teams getting those FA Cup draws, etc., they'll never be seen again. Um, and that is large part down to what happened in the early 90s so on that note the death knell of football may have just rang or we could be seeing the moment the revolution starts let's hope it's the latter see you next time